I encourage you to turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. And as you're turning to 1 Peter 4, I want to echo the words that Brad mentioned a few moments ago with regard to our graduates and just let you guys know how proud we are of you and all that you've done and excited about what God is going to continue to do in your lives in the future as well. We are uh, honored to have been a part of your journey and your story to this point, but also we're excited to be a part of your journey and your story into the future. It doesn't end with uh, your graduation by any means, and, and we want to pray that, that God would continue to work in you and through you, and that he's going to raise you up to be able to someday reach out and, and invest in others and help raise them up for the kingdom of God for the sake of the gospel as well. That's the way that it works. You know, uh, those of us who have been in their shoes, those of us who uh, have, have already walked through that particular season of life, we can all look back on our own personal journey, our own personal story, and remember the, the, the mixture of emotions and all that you go through. Imagine, imagine if you could somehow add on to that all that we've been through in the last two and a half, three months as a part of what these guys have endured. And yet through all of that, we trust that God has been faithful. It's not all looked the way that they planned. It's not all gone the way that they wanted to or that we have wanted on their behalf or for their sake. And yet we know that God has been at work and he's going to continue to be at work in their lives. And I'm excited to see how that will play itself out for, for his sake. We're looking at the book of First Peter on Sunday mornings. And we're studying with this particular idea in mind, that as Peter is writing to a group of believers that he refers to as, as exiles, as strangers in this world, that we understand that this world is not our home either, as followers of Jesus, that this is not, this is not the, the place that we will dwell forever and ever, though it may be where we reside at the moment, our forever home, our, our true home, and our true identity is found in Christ and in his kingdom where we will reign with him forever in heaven someday for life eternal. And yet in this season of life, God has a plan and a purpose for us. And he's working in our midst and he's working in our lives. And Peter writes to encourage exiles in the midst of all that they're going through, that they would continue to stay the course and stand firm with what God has for them. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that God wants to say that same word to us today, that he would that he would speak through his word to us this morning, this encouragement that we would stay the course of what he's doing in our lives, that we might see his power at work displayed in us. It's a great word, a word for exiles. And the passage of scripture we're going to study is going to be in chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 13 and going to verse 25. We're going to read through this text, and as we do, when we get, particularly when we get to verses 15, 16, and 17, I'm going to slow down just a bit, and I'm going to point to a few things in those verses, because not only do those verses sort of naturally fall in the middle of the text that we're going to be studying, but they really serve as sort of the interpretive center of this passage of Scripture. And what I mean when I say that is really... What is, what is said in verses, particularly in verses 16 and 17, really becomes instructive for everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it. And even though it's sort of sandwiched in the middle of this passage that we're looking at today, it really is, it is the hinge upon which this truth swings. And so we're going to focus particularly on verses 16 and 17 when we get there. And then go back and answer the question, how do we do that? What it's telling us to do, what it's instructing us to do, how do we do that? 
And we're going to use verses 13 to 25 and some of the context to fill in the gaps as we study. Let's jump in together. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, we read this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That's important, right? It's telling us here, this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is so important that the will of God, he's telling us here. You ever wonder what's God's will? What's God's plan for my life? Here it is written in black and white. Peter has not left any room for us to guess or wonder. He tells us this is the will of God for your life. And we understand that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it speaks authoritatively to our lives today as well. The will of God for our lives is that by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We should live as people who are free. Where does that freedom come from? Well, I'll tell you this. That freedom doesn't come from a government. It doesn't come from a ruler or an authority. It doesn't come from a constitution. It doesn't come from a set of laws. Those things recognize the inalienable rights, inalienable rights that were in place because God himself is the one who has given us these freedoms. And how did God supply these freedoms? He purchased them with his blood on the cross. God bought our freedom by sacrificing his life for us. And now we're to live as free. Do we celebrate the freedoms that we have as citizens of this great nation? Absolutely we do. Do we celebrate the blessing that is ours because we live in the United States of America? We do. We praise God. We thank God. But we understand that our primary identity, our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ as King. And as such, we're to live in the freedom that he has given us, not using our freedom as a license to do whatever we want, not using that freedom as a, a, a sort of a get out of jail ticket, so to speak, spiritually, that we can do whatever we want and we know God's gonna forgive it when we ask him and we come to him, he's gonna sweep it under the rug. No, no, no. The freedom that we have in Jesus enables us to live the Christ-centered, spirit-filled life that he calls us to live. And so we're to live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is his will for our lives. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Those things are, are so important. Four things there. And I, and I want to I speak to these for just a moment, because as I've said already, we'll continue reading in, in just a moment, but everything else that we're going to talk about this morning stems from understanding how we do this in light of the freedom that we have been given in Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, honor everyone. You know, in light of all that's going on in our, in our nation right now with protests and, and, and other things that are, that, that are happening and we see people speaking out against injustices that are real, I think it's important that we, that we pause for a moment and when we say, we see this and we see that the Bible says honor everyone, that we understand that that means truly, literally honor everyone 
that the word of God calls us to honor everyone. Racism has no part in the kingdom of God. Racism has no part among the people of God. It's sinful, it's wrong, it's evil, it's vile. Why? Because it violates God's very created order. Regardless of someone's country of origin or the color of their skin or what side of the tracks that they grew up on, Regardless of all of those things, they are an image bearer of God himself. They are, they are endowed with worth and dignity and value as a child of God. And it is, not only is it foolish of us, it's downright sinful for us to draw lines and, 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 and uh, create hierarchies that don't exist simply because of superficial realities like the amount of melanin in your, in, in your skin or something of that nature, right? Racism has no place in the kingdom of God. Furthermore, I would go even further and say anyone that harbors those kinds of feelings clearly hasn't studied the word of God because again and again the word of God tells us that in Christ there, there is no Jew or Gentile, there is no slave, we're all free in Christ. What's further, you study the book of Revelation and the book of Revelation points to the throne room of God where we see every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people under God gathered together crying out, worthy is the Lamb. There's room at the cross for all of God's creation. And we need to understand that when Peter says honor everyone, he means literally honor everyone. He goes further though, and he says this, love the brotherhood. Now he's speaking here about a particular group of people. Well, who are the brotherhood? This is, this is a word that would have been used amongst the, the church, amongst believers to speak to brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about other believers here. So we're to honor everyone. We're to love the people of God. We're to, we're to love and serve and work with the people of God. He takes it another step further. We're to fear God. Why do we do these things? Why do we honor everyone? Why do we love the brotherhood? Because we fear God, because we understand God's awesome power and his, and his might and his glory and his goodness. And so we fear God. And then, and this is one that we don't care for as much, if we're being honest, honor the emperor. Now, we don't have an emperor in the United States, right? But we understand that clearly what he's talking about here is honor authority. Honor authority that's been placed over us. And we all struggle with that to some degree. I suppose it's, it's in our nature. It's, in our, it's sort of in our, in our being that we, we sort of bristle at the idea of, of authority. And yet, that's going to be a key part of understanding this text this morning is knowing that all authority ultimately derives its power from God's ultimate authority. We'll come back to that. So how do we do this? How do we live as people who are free? How do we... How do we walk in this freedom and, and, and live in this freedom as servants of God? How do we honor everyone? How do we love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor? Well, he tells us in this text, and we're going to come back. There are three key things that he gives us in verses 13 through 15 and then in verses 18 through 25. But let's finish reading and then we'll come back and work our way through that list of how we put verses 16 and 17 into practice in our life. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so we find in this text this beautiful picture of what it means to live as God's people, to live in the freedom that Jesus won for us on the cross, to live in the freedom that is ours because God himself created us, God himself saved us and redeemed us, and through his blood we have been healed, as he says, through the work of Christ we have been set free. How do we do that? How do we live as people who are free? I want to give you three things that we find in this text. Three things just literally lifted directly from the, the text. The first is this, is that we would submit. How do we live as free? Submit. And this one, as much as any, I suppose, is somewhat counterintuitive for us because we think freedom, well, no, if I'm gonna be free, then I don't submit. Freedom means that I'm autonomous. Freedom means that I, that I get to choose and I get to call the shots. And yet that's not the picture that the Bible paints of Freedom Again and again, the Bible paints a picture of freedom under Christ, under the lordship of Christ, that freedom comes in living inside of or in submission to the authority that God has placed over us. And we can study this again and again in the text. But in particular, in this passage, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor or to governors, right? He's saying be subject, and here's the key, for the Lord's sake, be subject to the authorities. Jump down and look at what he says in verse 18. Subject to your masters. He's writing to servants. We'll come back and deal with that. That's sort of a little bit of foreshadowing as the point too. Uh, you, you'll be able to figure that one out, I suppose. But we'll come back and deal with that a little more thoroughly in a minute. But notice that he says be subject Submit to your masters with all respect. And then this, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Submit to the godly authorities in your life and submit to ungodly authorities in your life. Why? Because all authority ultimately derives its authority, its ultimate authority from God. Now, what does that mean, practically speaking? That doesn't mean that we have to go along with things that are ungodly. That doesn't mean that we would violate the word of God, the teaching of God. That doesn't mean that we would violate our conscience uh, as, as being led by the spirit of God. No, no, no. We, our, our primary allegiance is to Christ as king. And there are moments when, when civil disobedience is called for. There are moments when we are to work for the, the good that the Lord has called us to in spite of governing authorities. But Let's be clear, if ever we are to take such a, a dramatic, a drastic step, we better know for certain that God has told us, has called us, and that we're obeying Christ as king in those moments because clearly he tells us here and elsewhere in the scripture, uh, in the book of Romans in particular, that, that all authority ultimately derives its, its rule from God's authority in our lives. But 
I want to share a passage of scripture with you that, that, that speaks to this idea from the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah. And so we're going to read together from Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, a lot of people know Jeremiah 29, 11, because Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, God says to the nation of Israel, I know the plans that I have for you. That's what he says to Judah through the prophet Jeremiah. And yet oftentimes we plans for good, plans to prosper, plans for hope in a future, he goes on to say. And a lot of times we want to sort of uh, just sort of cherry pick those verses and use that in our lives and say, oh, well, look, God's got all these good things for me in the future. God's gonna do all of these good things in my life. But actually, when you understand Jeremiah 29 in context, what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, to Judah, is he's saying, you guys are about to get it I'm bringing punishment. You are going to suffer and it's going to be my hand that's bringing the suffering. But when you do, when you suffer, when you go into exile, into the land where I'm sending you, and as you suffer the punishment that I will be visiting upon you in that place, I want you to walk with me. I want you to seek the good of the people that you're among. I want you to bless them and honor them. And through that, know this, that I will be faithful. Let's read it for ourselves. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That is such a key verse that helps us not only to understand what God is saying here in Jeremiah 29, 11 to Judah, but also how that continues to speak authoritatively to our lives. We're to seek the good of the city where God has put us. Yes, our greatest allegiance is to Jesus Christ as King, but as citizens of this nation under God, as citizens of the United States of America and residents of, uh, of, of the state of Oklahoma and the city of Chickasha and the surrounding area, we are to seek the good of the place where God has put us for his honor and his glory. Keep reading verse eight. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. God is saying, look, there is a, I have a prescribed time for 70 years. You're gonna be in exile. For 70 years, you're gonna go through this. So don't listen when others tell you something different. I am saying to you, this is my plan, this is my doing, and it's gonna last as long as I say it's gonna last. That's what God is saying here. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What do we learn in that passage? What do we learn in that story of what God did in the life of Judah and sending them into exile in Babylon? We learn this, especially as it pertains to the passage we're studying this morning. We learn that God may allow us to go through some things that we wouldn't choose. God may send us through a season that we don't like and that we don't want, but he may use it in our lives to refine us 
to take us through the fire, so to speak, to, to uh, do a, a sanctifying work in our lives for his sake and his glory. And so we submit to the authorities that the Lord has placed in our lives, knowing that God is sovereign over all authority in this world. In fact, there are three things in particular I want to say about this, this idea of submitting to God's authority. As it says in verse 15, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of food. So how, as we live for the will of God and as we submit according to the will of God, I think the first thing that we, we need to see is that submission surrenders to God's ultimate authority. When we submit, we're not just submitting to a human authority. Ultimately, we're submitting to God, his ultimate authority in our lives. Submission silences the ignorance of foolish people. That's exactly what it says. I mean, that's literally word for word what it says in verse 15. So for by doing good, you will silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we do good in the midst of evil, when we do good in the midst of unjust leaders, and and we do good in the midst of, uh, of, of all that we face in this life, our submission to God's authority silences the ignorance of foolish people. And third, we see that Ultimately, the submission supersedes your circumstances. Submission supersedes, which means that the, the, the command to submit to authorities doesn't just go by the wayside the moment that the going gets tough, the moment that things get hard in life. The call of God to submit supersedes your circumstances. And what I mean that is exactly what he says in verse 18. Not only the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. We're to submit to authority in our lives and allow God to use our submission. How does he use our submission? Well, that leads us to the next point. So the second way that we are to live as people who are free is to serve. Is to serve. Verse 18, servants. Be subject to your masters. What's interesting is that there are numerous places throughout the New Testament Uh, Let me just rattle off a few of these from a a list that I put together. There are numerous places where the New Testament speaks to people who were former slaves who have now come to Christ. And so there was this tension of people within the body of Christ who were slaves, literally. They were slaves, bond servants to a human ruler, and yet now they're free in Jesus. And in some instances, they're in the same church, in the same church body as their masters, as their earthly masters. And so it creates this this tension, this, this reality that exists between slaves and masters who are equal under the the call of Christ and the lordship of Christ and what do they do in that well the new testament actually speaks to this again and again and and, and it, it doesn't mean that the new testament is uh is, is pro slavery as some have wrongly applied that that hermeneutic or that idea over the years that's that's really poor interpretation that's really that the, the word for that is exegesis or uh in, interpretation that's really poor exegesis of the scripture to say that well because there's slavery in the bible that means the bible supports slavery no not at all but the bible speaks in the midst of the circumstances of real people in the real setting where they were living life and it calls them to live for something greater even in the midst of that go to first corinthians chapter 7 verses 20 to 24 go to ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 colossians chapter 3 verse 22 first Timothy chapter 6 verses 1 and 2, Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, Philemon uh, verses 12 through 16, 
And here, even in this text, in this passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 18, the New Testament speaks again and again and again to people who are slaves, who are servants, and it tells them to live in the freedom that's theirs in Christ, but to be subject to their earthly masters. Why? Because, it says, because all authority ultimately is derived from God's authority. You let God be the one that works on your behalf. You let God be the one that works for you. You let God be the one that is your champion. You serve those who are over you. That's what the scripture says. We're to serve. This idea of service, again, is throughout the, the scripture. But I think it's so important that we, that we just see it even in this text. Look at what it says in verse 19. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, we endure. This is a gracious thing. In other words, what he's saying is, it takes strength to serve. It takes strength to submit to authorities, even when they are unjust. But this is a gracious thing, which is pointing us to the fact that God's going to use it. God will use our submission. God will use our service. And then ultimately, God will use even our suffering. For the sake of the gospel. That's the third point. How do we, how do we uh, shine the light of Christ? How do we live as people who are free? We're to suffer well for the sake of the gospel. Before we move on, I want to say this about our service. When, when we serve others, service shows the fruit of sanctification in our lives. It shows the fruit of God's work. Service signals the significance and the worth of others. When we serve others, we show that they are that they are worthy. When we would humble ourselves and serve as Jesus served us, we show the significance, the worth of others. And ultimately, service shines the light of the gospel onto our situation. How does it do that? Well, as we serve others, we, we shine the spotlight of our, of our servitude, of our suffering. See, suffering and trials always shine a spotlight. Suffering works sort of as a, 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 a megaphone, a, a microphone, if you will, broadcasting. The question is, what is your suffering going to shine the light on? If we would suffer for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Christ, for the name of Christ, under the lordship of Christ, then our suffering, even our trials, will shine the light on the hope of the gospel and the hope that is ours in Jesus. So we're to suffer. We're to live as people who are free by suffering. Now, this is not what we desire. If we're being honest, who in their right mind would say, oh, good, you mean I get to suffer, right? That's not, we don't enjoy this. We don't look forward to this. And yet, if we're being faithful to the Lord, we can't avoid it either. Because suffering is a part of life. Suffering is a natural part of the Godward life. There are times when you are called, when you and I are called to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's a gracious thing, he says in verse 19. When mindful of God, you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's what he says in verses 19 and 20. There are times when we're called to suffer for the sake of Christ. There are, are, are those moments when we suffer, but our sufferings serve a purpose. They serve the purpose of shining the light of the gospel in the midst of our situation, of our circumstance, so that even in our hardship and our difficulty, people would see Jesus. Practically speaking, what does it look like for us to suffer for Christ? Well, 
I think it's important that he, he sort of outlines that. He, he traces that outline of what that looks like here, and he visits it later in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to look at a passage in chapter 4 in just a moment. But there are some other important texts in the Bible as well where he, where he points us to this. And, and as much as anything, this is what we need to understand. That the reason that we suffer and even the way that we suffer is we follow the example of Jesus who went before us, who suffered on our behalf. That's what he says here, right? For to this you have been called, verse 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So when we suffer for the sake of God, for the name of God, we follow in the steps of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He committed no sin. Well, I'm out on that one, right? It doesn't mean that we're to be perfect, but it means we're to seek after righteousness. We're to follow his example. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. And so now we're to entrust ourselves to the shepherd, the overseer, of our souls. Practically speaking, what does that look like? Here's what I want to do. I, I want to actually read to you some other passages in the New Testament that point us to how we're to suffer. Rather than just trying to come up with a list, I, there are a few character qualities that I think we can draw out of these lists, and I will pretty rapid fire just fire off some of those things in a moment. But I really want you to hear what the, what the Bible itself says about how we are to suffer for the name of Jesus as the people of God. Let's go first to Romans chapter 5 and read verses 1 through 5. Now listen, I'm going to read quickly. I know sometimes I talk fast, but I'm going to read quickly through these texts because I, I, want, I want you to see, it's, it's sort of like all of this in its volume. I mean, each one of these could be a sermon or a series of sermons in and of itself. I'm not trying to get too mired in all of the details and the finer points here. I want you to see the big picture vision here, okay? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. That's just but one. I've got more. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 27. And we're going to read into chapter 2 verse 11. Philippians 1 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to you or am absent. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him. But also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw and I had and now hear that you still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others 
more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. He suffered in our place. He gave us an example to follow. But praise God, someday every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Your suffering can serve a purpose. And finally, in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, we've already read what Peter writes in chapter 2. Let's jump ahead and let's preview what will be a sermon, another sermon entirely in weeks to come. But let's preview that in chapter 4. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 1, and then we're going to jump to chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Peter. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. Again, we'll deal more with that later in a few weeks. He means to say there that we, that we have power over sin through Christ's victory that he won on our behalf. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do you see this? Again and again and again, the picture that the Bible paints for us is that we are to suffer under the name of Christ, suffer well for the sake of Christ, so that in our sufferings we might shine the light of Jesus. We might shine a spotlight on the gospel and the hope that we have in him, that even though we endure hardship and suffering and pain in this world, we understand that by Jesus we will overcome. In a moment, we're going to have a time of reflection and a time of response. And in our moment of reflection today, I pray that you would think on these truths. How is it that I am to submit, to serve, to suffer, even if that's the will of God, that I might shine the light of the gospel into the darkness of the world around me? Practically speaking, suffering for the Christian looks a lot like having patience, Resilience, determination, being teachable, humble, sincere, forgiving, confident, unwavering, kind, hopeful. All of those things are wrapped up into our suffering. And yet, we do all of this for the glory of God, for the sake of his name and his kingdom. And we do it knowing that if we would suffer for the sake of Christ, it's a gracious thing. Being mindful of God, mindful of the will of God, even our suffering might shine the light of the gospel for us to see. May God work through us so that others would see Jesus in 
us. I'd like for us to pray together. And then after we pray, we're going to enter into this moment of reflection. As we, as we sing this song, this is a time for us to reflect on this word, reflect on this truth. And after we sing and reflect, then I'm going to come back and, and talk about how it is that we respond to this truth today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would shine the light of your glory through us, through our lives, as we live for you, as we live for your kingdom, and even if it be your will, as we suffer for the name of Jesus. Jesus, may you be exalted. May you be glorified in our lives. We pray in your name.